0: Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hugan, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome to the Gospel for Life today. We have a kind of a special week Lined out as we dive into the issues of church and state. And with that special week, we have a special guest with us today. We have uh, Pastor Matt Marino. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And you've been on the show before. We talked about some controversial Black Lives Matters issues here a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think that worked out
1: really well. There's a lot to cover, but uh, I think we did a
0: good job. Did anybody show up with flaming torches and rocks at your house or anything like that? None. No, <laughs> No. <None.
1: None.
2: laughs> And we have Jonathan Van Huggen. How you doing, brother? I'm doing fine. It's good to be here. What'd you preach on yesterday? I preached on the Psalms of Ascent, the subject that we've been working through. So the you past were stealing week. all the material that we yeah, were doing. Actually, I was, ahead, of, I was <laughs> ahead. I was ahead of that one, but ahead of the curve on that. But I preached on Psalm 122, and we talked about uh, you know in the Psalms, you know, there's a triad of you know the the pilgrim feels harassed, and then the next psalm helped. And then the then there's a hint of heaven in the third, and this is the this is really what the Christian life is about—the ups and downs. And so yeah. we've been we were on the upside of it awesome. uh, on Sunday, and which was great. Awesome. Well,
0: it goes without saying that our culture is absolutely on fire right now, um, and so we are going to be addressing church and state issues and how we should think about those things as Christians. And we're very aware of our audience. We have kind of very libertarian minded people listening to us which are think that the government should be religiously neutral in all of its aspects. We have kind of theonomists listening to us who think that the Old Testament law should be completely used in today's culture in every aspect. We have the zealot who's listening to us who wants to rebel against everything that the state is saying. And then we have the overly complicit listening to us which is whatever the state says we need to obey. So we're going to be probably wrong on both counts. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be making some enemies today, I think. Um, um, no, know, um, we hope that you as our listener will test everything that we're saying against the Bible, and we're going to bring a lot of Bible. So we're going to start here with with our definitions. What is the church? We're going to ask, what is the church and what is the state? But we'll first start here. What
1: is the church? Well, one of the uh, definitions that, or distinctions that I like is the one that Herman Bavink used. He makes a distinction between the institutional church versus the organic church, for lack of a better Term One of them is what we would think of in terms of its offices, but not in a Roman Catholic way of clergy versus laity, because it's one body. You know, the church is invisible in one sense, God's elect, where God knows those who are his. But there's also a visible aspect, which uh, doesn't mean two different churches. The true uh, people of God, the communion of saints, are visible in the world. We publicly profess our faith and so on. And um, so that's all that distinction makes, is that there are false professors, as the Puritans would say, uh, in that body. So it is a mixed body, but it's the whole company of God's people that confess his name and and so forth and are called out of the world. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and just to to dovetail on that. So
0: in Scripture, there's the local church, right? Um, You see in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, it says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, Mm -hmm. and many other distinctions like that in Scripture. You have, as what you said, the visible church, which is just the the body of professing believers in every age and in every place. Mm -hmm. And then, as you said, the invisible church, which is the uh, elect of God. And so when we're talking about church and state issues, probably we're not talking so much about the the invisible church in in terms of our emphasis, but just how the visible church, and even in particular the local church, interacts with the state. Do you guys think
2: that's right? That would be a good distinction. I think that, uh, and you know, that's what makes it challenging because the visible church represents oftentimes a number of different denominations with uh, different directives from, uh, you know, you know, uh, particularly on the local level, the elders and and those that are in governance over that church have uh, particular emphases. You know, churches have churches have distinctions, just like they have personal, like people have personalities, and so that makes it a challenge when we're talking about the church because, in one sense, we want to talk about a kind of a universal understanding of the church, and at the same time, we realize that uh, local churches have distinctive problems and personalities that are going to make a difference.
0: That's right.
1: Yep. All right. Well, then what's the state? The state is uh, God's ordained uh, institution that bears the sword, to use the metaphor that Paul uses in Romans 13. Um, Although it's not instituted in an explicit terminology in Genesis 9, 5, and 6, nevertheless, the root of it is the... Uh, Both the primary object of the state, namely the image of God, is carried forward from Genesis 1 to Genesis 9. God reaffirms the creation covenant with Noah and all of his generations. And in that, at the center of it, he says to Noah and his sons and all their generations, which again, I'm emphasizing that because it's not just Israel. It's not just reducible to their civil law. All mankind has been brought into this covenant where if man sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. And then he gives the reason, for God made man in his own image. And so the, um, the Christian tradition, by the time you get to the Middle Ages and later, would draw that image of God out in a civil context in terms of life, liberty, and property. And that's an accurate reflection of the second table of the law, commandments 5 through 10, that has the image of God as the thing that's being violated anytime you disobey any of those commands, whether it's his authority or his life or his marriage or his property or his good name or all that is your neighbor's in the 10th commandment. That image of God is reflected in life, liberty, and property. And so the sword is there to defend that which God already sets up at first. God sets up the image of God before uh, the institution of government. So people oftentimes hear that and say, I don't see government in Genesis 9. I would respond to them by saying, exactly. The argument's better than you think. The image of God actually comes first. And then government is there set up to defend life, liberty, and property. Life, liberty, and property don't come from government. Life, liberty, and property come from God. Government is set up to defend that that natural right of man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think...
0: One of the important things to emphasize this, to emphasize at the very beginning here is, is what you said at the beginning is that God ordained the state. It's a, it's a creation of God, an appointment of God. Mm-hmm. It's not something that man just kind of came up with. Yeah. Now, of course, mm-hmm. there are different forms of government. Some are really bad and, and destructive to mm-hmm. civil, to civilization. But the state itself, the government of the state itself is not something that we created. Right. Like the church, it's been appointed and ordained by God, which immediately brings this problem to the fore. You know, and and I'm going to say it like this, just so you guys can trip over it a little bit. Which one, which, uh, which appointment of God has the supremacy, the state or the church?
1: Well. <laughs> That's, it's a loaded question. Well, I know it's a loaded question. Yeah, I told you it was a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it depends what you mean. If we're talking about ultimately and eschatologically, the church obviously lives on, and none of these other institutions do, but I know that's not what you're talking about. Right. You're talking about in this age, yes. if, if they come to an intersection. And, uh, and so the first thing I would say is there's different models, uh, and I'm not passing this off like, oh, they're all the same. No, I, I take a position, but there's different models for how the church and state relate in terms of who has the supremacy. But we would just say they're they're different institutions. They they have, first of all, different symbols. You know, the church has uh, the keys in Matthew's gospel that's used for their power. Mm-hmm. The keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom. And that's expressed in the preaching of the word, sacraments, and discipline. At, and let's, at the let's pause there just for a second, right? Jesus helps us with
0: such a vivid imagery. Mm-hmm. What do keys do? They open doors and they right. close doors. And that's what happens with the preaching of the word and sacrament, where we're opening the doors and we're saying, "Hey, all who believe have eternal yeah, life," yeah. and we're closing the door. Anyone who
2: doesn't yeah. believe, you're shut out of the kingdom of yeah. God. The keys are dealing with eternal matters, right? Is what what the keys do? You know, in terms, as Matt said, you know, the preaching of God's word, uh, you know, discipline and the sacraments—they all are pointing to uh, an eternal matter. Discipline is so that a man would be reconciled to God. That's right. And so that's that that's the important aspect of the keys of the kingdom Matt brought out that uh, the state uh, has the power of the sword and, and they exercise that for uh, the general good of uh, people and the peace of, and and society yep
1: mm-hmm. and in the reformed tradition you have those three uses of the law and one of them is the civil use and so that continues on because moral law continues on government continues on so the purpose of moral law that's summarized in those 10 commandments carry on. So you have the civil use of the law, which isn't meant to change the heart of the unbeliever or anything like that, but it is meant to restrain and to provide form to that freedom in society. Uh, so that's so it's not this sort of this willy-nilly thing that we, you know, get to decide and cherry pick from the law. No, there's a there's a logic of it as far as how you interpret moral law and how you apply that to the state today.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, absolutely. So the sword, so the keys of the kingdom versus the sword. The sword is is used to like what Peter says: punish those who do wrong and reward those who yeah. do right.
2: Yeah, it, it compels, and you know the uh, the with the keys of the kingdom, you're dealing with a declarative power. You know, you're, you're declaring what God has said. Um, there, you know, it doesn't have a, it doesn't have force behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can't. You know. You, you, you can't, in one sense, compel somebody into the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can uh, be, con- you know, we're constrained to, to preach the gospel. We have this, uh, you know, this constraint because of the love of Christ. We want all men to know him. Mm-hmm. But I can't compel somebody, I can tell them. Right. Um, you know, the, the power of the state can compel certain actions, they do it at the point of the sword. Um, they do it at the, you know, they are able to throw someone into prison or take somebody's life in in those matters. So uh, there's a difference between those two in that way. Would you guys say it's an oversimplification to say that God appointed the
0: church kind of for the inward good of man, and God appointed the state
2: for the outward good of man? That'd be oversimplifying it, I think. How
0: would you how would
2: you how would you clarify? Well, I think that we live in, in one sense, we li- You know, there's there's an oversection, uh, uh, you know, intersection between these two, uh, intersectionality. Oh man, <laughs> intersection We got liberals these, on the radio today <laughs> between these two kingdoms. Uh, you know, I mean, we. You know, there's there's the the kingdom of man, the kingdom of God. And there's a there's an intersection in which we live. We, we you know so, um, I think that you know no the church actually the church actually in in the proclamation of the gospel is uh, is. There are so much external activity with that that we can't simply say that the state is dealing with externals and we're only dealing with the heart.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like that. um, You know, there's a truth in it, of course, but uh, it's like when people say you can't legislate morality. And I know what they mean. They mean that the civil law is not meant to change the heart. It's not going to produce good. That's not what the civil law is for. Law is force in that sense on the other hand, most people that say that they're trying to they're trying to do the dirty work of disconnecting the law of a people from the morality of a people. But the reality is that every law that you pass is uh, a function of your morality, regardless mm-hmm. of its source. And of mm-hmm. course, you're going to be borrowing from God's world from natural law at the very least, but it is moral through and through from that sense, but it doesn't produce good. it restrains evil and so that's that's kind of where we would maybe say that that way
0: right, right. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We are taking um, this week to talk about the differences between the church and the state, and and today, you know, we haven't covered a lot of ground, but we have covered this ground that God has appointed both. He's appointed the church, um, and he's appointed the state. Both of them are creations from God, and so that should help correct some of our thinking in in some areas. So if you if you kind of tend to be a a zealot. Um, wanting to rebel against the state, then the Bible says, no, God appointed this authority um, and we don't have the right to to rebel against it in its respected sphere. If you're overly complicit with the state, then perhaps you should recognize that when God gave the church powers and powers to be the prophet to the state, like Calvin wrote that letter to King Francis, uh, he dedicated the institutes to him, um, that... He was operating in his right role. Now we'll unpack this, you know, more over the next few days. We're glad you listened to us and we'll see you next time.